Kia from your Every Nation Southside family here in Papatoitoi, Auckland. You are now listening to a podcast from our church service and we pray that you will be blessed by it. For more information, please visit our Facebook page or feel free to contact our church office. Today, we are starting a new series called Renew. Uh, and so this is a pretty cool series. It's uh, every week that we're going through it, we'll be talking about just kind of issues. Oh no, issues. Oh. Um, issues that us as humans commonly go through. Um, you know, I was thinking fashion. I'm not a big fashion person, but you know, I see that fashion styles that are on trend uh, change. And it's kind of like a cycle, you know, sometimes I was just thinking, you know, like I said, I'm not a big uh, fashion person, but one thing that I've noticed that has changed throughout the years that um, I've been alive has been jeans. You know, one day it's cool to wear baggy jeans. Um, next, it's tight jeans. Next, it's like tight at the top, but like loose at the bottom or then it's ripped jeans. I've noticed that's like a, a thing now. It's ripped jeans that's cool. Um, maybe it's because the tight jeans were too tight and then they became ripped jeans and then now ripped jeans are cool, I don't know. Um, and then it's back to baggy jeans. I've started to see some young people wearing baggy jeans again. I'm like, oh, must be time. Must be time to change. Um, do you, those of you who were around in the 90s, old enough to remember, um, do you guys remember... Uh, origin jeans. <laughs> Yay, Thomas is still proud of those days. You know, everyone, and that, that was like when I was in high school, and everyone was going to Hallenstein's to buy mustard jeans or maroon jeans, you know, and that was just so cool. Um, now, if you would wear those, it's kind of like, are you kidding? <laughs> or is it a dress up? Um, but fashion trends are always changing. But this series is gonna be looking at different issues and challenges that don't come and go. They're basically always constant. Issues that people face on a daily basis, no matter what the decade is, or the century, or the millennium. Uh, and so each week we're gonna be focusing on a different issue that is relevant to everybody throughout all ages and times. Okay, and so the issue that we are looking at today, I don't know what they were thinking of, you'd given this one to me, kind of like Victory Weekend and one of the ones that they give to me on, on that, but they've given me rejection. Thank you. Um, I must be an expert of being a reject. Now rejection, you know, we've all been through it on a, probably countless number, number of times. You know, it's such a hard thing to face, but everyone goes through it. There are certain types of rejection that are, you know, kind of easy to deal with, but um, there are some kinds of rejection that wound us quite deeply. And because of those wounds, we begin to react in certain ways that causes us further rejection and pain. And so uh, we're going to just really take a close look at uh, a scripture, John 4. It's probably a story that a lot of us know quite well. Uh, the woman at the well, this Jesus and the Samaritan woman. 
Okay, so I'm going to read the story to you. So verse 1, now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Verse 4, now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, and did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship in is Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. And so this story is John 4. Uh, And it's recorded, obviously, just after John 3. And in John 3 is the famous story of when Nicodemus, who was a a Pharisee, a teacher of the law, he came to visit Jesus at night, and he had all these questions. And so I found it quite interesting that John 4, talking to this woman, 
came straight after John 3, talking to this important man named Nicodemus. And I was thinking, those two meetings that are kind of back-to-back in Scripture, they had the same end in that Jesus told them how they could be saved. But those two people are like complete opposites. You know, Nicodemus, he had status. You know, he was well-respected. He was um, a pillar in the community. He was a teacher of the Lord. People looked up to him. And of course, the Bible says his name. He came at night to Jesus and asked Jesus about salvation. He was religious, holy, and probably pretty proud of it. Now, the Samaritan woman, she is uneducated. She did not believe in what the Jews believed. She was kind of a nobody in terms of influence. She was immoral and probably was ashamed of that. She had no idea who Jesus was. And he had come and sought her out. And we don't even find out her name. And I thought these two stories just show just in a beautiful way how Jesus loves everybody. He loves everybody, no matter who you are, where you've come from, what you've done, whether you're an A-plus Christian or you're a never mind kind of Christian. Jesus is the Son of God, and he came to seek and to save the lost. And so today, I just want to concentrate on that story of the Samaritan woman and Jesus' encounter with her. And so in this part of the story, Jesus has now left Judea, and he is heading north, back to Galilee. Now, uh, Jews during that time hated Samaritans, and the historical reasons go back centuries about 600 years by this time. And so most people, most Jews who were traveling from Judea to Galilee would travel east because in the middle of Judea and Galilee is Samaria or Samaria. And so they would travel east, cross the Jordan and go around rather than go through Samaria. And because they had been baptizing people, you know, in the beginning of the story, it talks about how they were baptizing people, Jesus' disciples. They were probably already east uh, near the Jordan. But instead of going the normal route, uh, which was to go east and go around and avoid Samaria, the Bible says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. And I looked up that word, had to go through Samaria. And that word, every other time that it's used, it's used kind of in a context of he must go. There was no choice. He was under orders from his Father in heaven that he needed to go through Samaria. And, you know, one thing we know about Jesus is that he would obey the Holy Spirit no matter what. He would go wherever God said. And that was kind of the most convenient, I suppose, distance-wise. It was the main route And so the Holy Spirit, there's the map there, was leading him to some work that he had to do. And so it's noon, he's at the well, the Bible says he's tired and he's hot. He sits down and rests, the disciples leave to go get lunch. Now here she comes at noon, when the sun is the hottest. Now a lot of us probably already know that traditionally when the woman it would be the woman's job to go and get the water for the well, from the well. Uh, and they would usually go together early in the morning because it was cooler. 
and obviously when you, you need uh, water for your morning chores and so they would go together and now for some reason this lady has waited until they've all gone and now she's come to the water at noon it's really hot she's come alone it's probably a long journey there's no one to talk to he wanted to be there to meet her she thought she was going to be alone she was probably hoping to for some reason she wanted to be alone and so she made it so much more difficult for herself choosing to do things this way you know and we often think why and I think it's because she was a woman who was rejected in whatever way so she would rather be isolated she didn't want to see anyone or be seen by anyone but Jesus and his disciples had been walking for K's and K's and K's you know they're on a long journey they stop and I think that the disciples didn't want to be there in Samaria just sitting with Jesus hanging out so they went and got lunch and got some food you know, I, that kind of cracks me up because it's kind of like when, you know, a whole bunch of friends are hanging out somewhere, having a rest, and then you're hungry, you know. Usually it's the people who draw the short straw who have to go out and get the food, right? But I have a feeling that, you know, who sends 12 people to get lunch for 13 people? You know, and, and they're all men, right, ladies? You know, I think of Ulu. You know, I think of men, but I mostly think of Ulu. Men don't really like shopping, am I right? Yeah? Okay, see lots of nodding heads from the men. Ulu hates me asking him to going to the shop for something. But there was a reason why they all wanted to go. And I have a feeling that is they, they didn't want to be caught dead in Samaria. Kind of reminds me of those jokes, you know, how many so-and-sos does it take to change a light bulb? You know, how many men does it take to go and get lunch? Anyway, Jesus had a mission, and so he was sitting at the well. We don't have time to go into the full history of why Jews hated Samar Samaritans, but long story short, Jews saw the Samaritans as half-breed Jews. They were disgusted by them. They thought they had like a real mixed-up religion, um, and so this lady, not only was she a Samaritan woman, her whole, her whole people group were rejected, but she was also a woman. And in those days, women were far less value, valuable than men. And so she was a kind of woman who had faced rejection on a number of levels already. And here Jesus is striking up a conversation with her. You know, that's one thing I love about Jesus is that he didn't listen to what the culture said or what everyone else said. You know, there's so many times in the Bible where Jesus was teaching huge crowds of people, 5,000 people. And the, the Bible says 5,000 men and there were also women and children present. You know, you would never hear about the mention of women in any other situation because it was, it was almost illegal. It was very frowned upon for a rabbi to teach a woman about the word of God. But that's exactly what Jesus was doing. He struck up this conversation and he drove it towards godly things, discussing the word of God. And so now he's speaking in public to a woman 
not only a woman who was not his wife, which it was unheard of to talk to a woman in public who was not your wife in those days, but a sinful woman. That's like a scandal on so, for so many reasons. You know, but Jesus was willing to cross all the barriers to reach out and save the lost. Anyway, they start talking about water and Jesus says, those who drink from this well, this well that I'm sitting against, they'll, they'll get thirsty again. And he's trying to say to her and to us, I believe, that this is basically what the world does. You know, it fills you up for a little while, but you'll be thirsty again. It never lasts. The world offers some satisfaction, but then you'll be thirsty again. You know, all of us are thirsty in some way. And we all go looking for satisfaction, sometimes in the wrong places. You know, us as humans, you know, we thirst for love and acceptance and approval. So we, you know, we go searching for it in relationships and we, we look for it in other people when what we really need is the living water that only God can provide. It's more than just normal water. It's salvation water, eternal water. Jesus is referring to water that is higher, deeper, and greater than the water that she was getting from this well that was given to her by her great ancestor, Jacob. It's like he's saying, you know, that thing that you do when you want to cope, when you, you know, when you feel rejected and you try to act tough, like you don't care. You know how you put walls up when you feel hurt? How you go searching for acceptance in your relationships? Jesus is saying, there's something that I can give you where you don't have to try to cope anymore. You know, in this day and age, you know, a lot of people, they're only happy when they have like a million friends on Facebook and, you know, they post something um, and they get heaps of likes. You know, you feel accepted and important, apparently. But, you know, if no one likes your posts, apparently, you know, that's like rejection and you feel depressed and, oh. You know, um, years ago when Ulu and I first started here at church in full-time ministry, I got an email from someone and they told me that they felt that I didn't support them in the things that they were trying to do and they felt um, that I was kind of ignoring them and paying more attention to, you know, certain people. And um, this was someone who was, you know, I valued so much and I respected so much and I said, I'm so sorry. How, you know, can you please tell me how have I been, you know, making you feel this way? What can I do to make you, you know, to help you know that I fully support you. I've got your back, you know. I love you and... Um, and this is what they said. They said, every time I post something on Facebook, you don't like it. That's literally what they said. And you know, those of you who know me, I'm not much of a Facebook person. Um, and I know that, you know, the, the teenagers that I work with, they, they always tell me, you know, oh, I got so many, this many likes on this, you know, and I thought, wow, people really do take notice of how many like, likes they get. Um, 
on a post. But this was next level because in those days, I know now, but in those days, I didn't know that you can actually click and see the names of the people who pressed like and then get mad at those people who say they love you but don't press like. You know, we're laughing at, oh, silly person. You forgive me, Ulu? No, just kidding. <laughs> it's a thing. That's a thing to all of us over, <coughs> over those years old. Jesus offers us water so that whoever drinks it will never be thirsty again. Imagine being able to walk in confidence and that you don't have to keep getting filled up by your success or your money or people's praise or love or acceptance or compliments. Imagine not needing those things. You don't have to keep running to that well to keep drinking and drinking because it's only temporary, that satisfaction. Jesus is saying, you need this water. You need to be filled with this living water because it will never run out. He said, those who drink this water that I give, it will become a spring inside of them. So that to me means, you know, a spring means that not only have I got all the water that I need, but it overflows and provides and points people to the real source of the living water. She finally gets to this point and then she says, okay, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. In other words, what do I need? What do I need to get this amazing water? It sounds great. And you know, usually when someone says, you know, can you give me this water? Usually the answer is yes or no. But Jesus' answer is strange, I think. He says, go get your husband and then come back here. And she answered, I don't have a husband. Jesus said, yes, that is true. That's a weird answer too, right? You know, if, if I was to say to someone that I had just met, I have a husband named Ulu. And then that person said, yes, that is true. That's kind of weird, eh? Oh, but Facebook, they'd already know because they clicked on all the things. Jesus said, yes, that is true. You have actually had five husbands and the man that you are living with now is not even your husband. Basically, you know, I've like wondered what, what? Lord, what? But you know, basically what I have come to conclude is that what Jesus was saying through this is that if you want to solve a problem, you have to start with the truth. How do I get that living water? You start with the truth. Face the truth of what the problem is. What is it that you are really thirsting for? The truth is that she had an issue with rejection. You know how I know? Because we all have issues with rejection. Yes, you. And me too. Some more than others, but we do. We all have an issue with rejection. You know, I have scars that, you know, all over the place, but unco have been that way my whole life, but I have scars all over the place. I have a big bold patch up here, but Praise the Lord gave me afro to hide it. 
because of that time that my cousin and I had a tricycle race. Did you guys know that tricycles do not have brakes? Our finish line was a brick wall. But you know, that, that was, I was a lot younger then, a lot less brainy. And now I have the scar here, but I can press it. It doesn't hurt because it's completely healed. You know what, but rejection is a little bit different because it cuts you up on the inside. You can't see it with your eyes, but it messes your soul up, your emotions, your mind, but you can't see the wound. But every time it gets touched, you gotta look out. That is why we need this living water. If we don't go to God with our rejection and drink of his living water, our behavior will always be driven by our rejection issues. You know, otherwise we put up all these walls, you know, we act all tough. Pretend that we're sweet. Nah, didn't hurt. I don't get. You know, we put up things like pride, isolation, anger, indifference, or just to try to protect ourselves from the things that we are hurting from. We rely on other people's approval, their acceptance, their love to make us full, but it only lasts for a while. Then we need our next fix when all we really need is Christ's living water. In 2005, a man named Frank Warren, you guys might have heard about this already, it was a while ago, he did like a, a, a social experiment as part of an art thing that he was doing, an art exhibition. And so he went with a whole bunch of postcards with his address on the back and he handed them out in Washington DC. And he said, take any secret that you have that you have never ever told anybody record it on this postcard in like an artistic kind of way and then send it mail it in and so this became a huge thing and a few years later half a million postcards had been received already anonymous secrets that no one has ever shared like this one I give decaf to customers who are rude to me. Starbucks fans. Some of them are really funny. Like this one. I like thought of Luti when I saw this. I buy fruit that matches my kitchen to put in the fruit basket, even if I don't like them. <laughs> Some of them are funny. Some of them were heartbreaking. This one's by a soldier. I can't tell my parents where I am deployed or when I'll be home. And if I die, they can't be told why. And this is a quote from Frank Warren about this project that he did. He said, the secrets that I receive reflect the full spectrum of complicated issues that many of us struggle with every day. Intimacy, trust, meaning, humor, and desire. They can connect us with our deepest humanity or with people that we'll never meet. And so it's back to that kind of, that truth. You know, the Bible says that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And I've already mentioned that, you know, our starting point should be truth. It's kind of like we have a longing to be able to tell the truth about ourselves. You know, when 
Jesus confronted her and said, yes, you, you've, you are not married right now. You've had five husbands. You know, it was like he didn't judge her, but he just confronted her with the truth. You know, he kind of helped give her some freedom. And that's just what he did, face to face with this Samaritan woman, not judging her or belittling her, maybe like what she was used to. You know, I've heard people talk about her, and I guess I've often thought about her myself as like a real sinful, adulterous kind of woman. You know, like in, in Nacho Libre, I think the word that he uses is, don't want to be a floozy. <laughs> I've heard the word promiscuous used to describe her. I've even heard it said that she was kind of like a prostitute. But you know, according to divorce laws of that time, uh, a man could divorce a woman for whatever, just about whatever reason he wanted to. So there was a chance that she had been abandoned. Maybe some of her husbands had died but somehow they were no longer there. They had failed her. Maybe now, perhaps for her own survival, she was just with a man, but he had not yet chosen to marry her. I would suggest that this perhaps is not a story about promiscuity, but it's a story about heartbreak, abandonment, rejection, feeling worthless, feeling desperate, and then she, she meets Jesus, and he confronts her with the truth. He just says it to her, but he doesn't judge her. So it's like, he's just saying to her, I know what you're going through. I know what's happened. You know, I'm sure that when she, when she heard him say that, perhaps she felt, that someone had taken the time to come and meet her, talk to her, confront her with this truth and not judge her. All those years of being desperate, hiding, trying to live. After all, we as humans, we're created for relationship. We desire to know people. We desire to be known and understood by people. You know, when we allow people to share life with us and we share our life and be real with them, you know what? It becomes natural for us to kind of, us as Christians, to be able to open up and point them to the one who they really need a relationship with. You know, a while ago, I had um, a mum of one of our students. Um, he, his mum asked me if I could meet up with her. Her son had gotten into some trouble for doing some naughty things. And I was just thinking, man, if that was me and I had, you know, my son had done the things that her son had been doing, I think I would be pretty heartbroken. Maybe horrified, you know, thinking, where did I go wrong? And so we met up and she cried and she opened up about just struggles that are going on. Uh, and she just said, I don't know what to do. Uh, and 
to be honest, and those of you who are mums of teenage boys, I, I maybe it's worse with girls, I don't know, maybe it's not as bad. I was honest with her too, and I said, I feel the same way a lot of the time. I mean, I've never been a teenage boy. I don't know what's going through their heads. Sometimes they do things, and I'm like, Lord, help me. I'll fast forever. <laughs> Please, Lord. Um, and as we were honest and just there sharing the truth about what was going on with both of us, um, I was able to actually talk with her about God and even pray with her. And, you know, I offered for her boy um, to come to our youth group, you know, at our church. Uh, and she was so encouraged and so grateful. Um, and she just sat there listening, you know. And I was thinking, man, when you're not too busy or too holy for people and you, you just show your vulnerable, um, honest side of yourself, man, Jesus can really do some amazing things. And so Jesus went out of his way for this woman to show her his, extrava his extravagant love for her, you know, and he did the same for us. He took the ultimate rejection so that he could be the answer to our rejection. He knows what it feels like to be rejected and cast aside. He knows that this is what his children go through every day. You know, when you're at work and Maybe you get passed over or people don't notice this amazing work that you did. Or you think, you know, maybe you're a child and you think that your parents might favor one of your other siblings over you. Maybe you feel left out amongst your friends sometimes. You know, maybe the joking sometimes gets a little bit overboard and you feel like maybe they're laughing a little bit harder <laughs> when the joke is on you. You know, or you may be a husband or a wife, and you wonder why they don't treat you the way that you think you should be treated. Maybe you might wonder if you will ever get a husband or a wife. He totally understands. God totally understands, and he knows. And I believe that just in the same way that he went out to meet with that Samaritan woman that day, and he reached across all kinds of boundaries to meet with her, I believe that today he is here as well doing the same for us, offering us that living water.